HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show was brought to you by MolecularRecipes.com, the world's number one source for modernist recipes, techniques, ingredients, and tools. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, and coming to you live from a British pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network, every Tuesday from roughly, really late this time, though, roughly 12, roughly, yay, 12.45, 12.50, 12.55, depends on, you know, whether someone's coming in to record after us. Joined, as usual, in the studio with Nastasia, the Hammer, Lopez, and Jack Ainsley in the engineering booth. How you guys doing? Good. Good. I'm all alone back here. Oh, Aw. Is that why you didn't have the time to put the Jackie Molecules on? Yeah, exactly. Or is that going to go on during the uh, We'll the break? do that on the break. Jackie Molecules. Call in your questions to cooking. Not maybe not cooking. Anything, right? Anyway. We'll take them all. We'll take any questions. I mean, look, there's some questions that we'll probably refuse to answer, but test us out. Call in to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Do you guys remember that, like, for the first year, I could not remember the number? Yes, I was just thinking that in my head. Yeah, and you guys would have to, literally, like, I couldn't remember the number, and they, uh, Jack and or Nastasia would have to write the number on a piece of paper. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and hold it in front of my face. I had, like, a mental yeah. block on the telephone number. Crazy. Maybe, yeah. you know, it's like, well, I don't know if I'm sticking around. I'm not going to commit this number to memory. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what yeah, it was. I think so. Wow. Wow. You well, haven't committed my number to memory. That's because it's typed into my phone. Like, I, I know how I to. I know yours. What? I know yours, so. Oh, me, me. Well, you're better than me, 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 me. Dave, how many numbers do you have memorized? Yeah. I have, like, the, my, like, the number I grew up with in junior high, high really? school, and college. Wow. My, my, uh, yeah, my, my mom's house number. It's still the house. It's the same house. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the the first telephone number I had in New York City, I remember, 212-666-TYPO. Awesome, <laughs> nice, right? Nice. 212-666-TYPO. I remember, I remember numbers that existed prior to like when your phone stored all the numbers. You know what I mean? So like I remember very early cell phone numbers. Like my cell phone number, uh, I've been around a long time. My wife's cell phone number and her sister's cell phone numbers have been around forever. So I remember those. My dad's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. I don't know my own house number. I don't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to ask Booker what my house number is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do know the number of the Heritage Radio Network's call in line. 
And that is 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. So you get any good uh, cooking things happen to you this past week? No. Nothing? Mm-mm. No? No. You didn't cook anything? You haven't cooked? Yeah, every night, but nothing worth talking about. Wow. That's kind of depressing. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I make food. Last night I made eggplant parm. Like, it's nothing. Eggplant parm is not, is not nothing? Did you make it from scratch? Yeah. So you, well, how do you prepare the eggplant? What do you do? Oh, uh, just salt it so it sweats. And how long? Uh, not long because it's usually late. <laughs> do you press on it? No. You don't press? press on it? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know why? The water. Okay, look. The salting, right, starts drawing the liquid out, right? But you still have a really spongy, like a spongy thing going on with the eggplant. So when you squish the hell out of it, well, the salting also helps you squish a little bit. When you squish it, you're, you're getting rid of some of the porosity that's going to lead to the increased oil absorption. I don't put oil in the pan. What the what? Whoa, whoa, whoa you, uh, what? I just uh, heat the pan and then put the eggplant in there and like turn is it, it breaded? So it no. So this is not what I would consider eggplant. Parmesan. No, no, it wasn't breaded. I didn't have time. This is the whole. This is That's like, why I said nothing interesting food wise. This is more like an eggplant casserole. So you say eggplant sure. parm, I'm like, holy crap! She's got to. No, no. Got to press the eggplant. Got to bread the eggplant. No. Got to fry the no. eggplant. Nope. But it was the bachelor finale last night. No, how how'd that go? Good. Did he choose the lady you wanted? Yeah. You watched The Bachelor, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's like does. Christmas. It's like it brings people together. Please not do not compare show. The Bachelor and Christmas. Please <laughs> yeah. do not compare. Yeah. You didn't want. You didn't feel compelled once you saw it last week. I felt compelled to never see it again. I felt compelled to never see it again. Wait, Dave, you watched The Bachelor he too? Oh, how it happened was last week. Last week did we talk about this on the radio? All right. So we had the, the, the maker of the Searsall and the soon-to-be mailed steak decorator and then the next two products, actually, which you'll hear about in the next couple of months from Booker and Dax. You know, our manufacturer, I had him over at my house, and we made him use the, the Searsall on, on the prototype steak decorator, by the way, because this guy didn't understand why he was making this product. Did we yeah. ever mention this on the no. air? No. The, it, Charles, the, the name of the guy is the project manager at the manufacturer we use, was like, I don't really, I don't get it. I don't know why you useless. want it. Useless, useless. I don't know. Who wants this? Anyways, so like we got him over and we made him cook a, cook a steak. But Nastasia was like, well, I'm not coming over unless I can watch The Bachelor. And I told her, you don't turn on the TV when someone's over at your house for dinner. This is like, I'm a human being 101. You know what I mean? This is like, I haven't grown up in a cave. I wasn't raised by TV-owning wolves. I know how to behave around other human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, look, I am a believer in technology. She's not a believer in technology. Nastasia <laughs> does not have any form. Nastasia only receives television that is broadcast to her through the air. She will not accept any other form. Antenna. She won't get it over the internet. Antenna. She has internet. She has it. But she won't get TV via the internet. She like won't spend the $30 and no extra money ever on a Roku stick or on an Amazon fire. I don't know why she's a Luddite. It's the same reason why she only listens to music that's picked by people that she doesn't know on the radio. Wow. Rather than, yeah, she, like Jack, you, you're a music professional, right? Yeah. Right. If you made a playlist, she wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> Any jerk.com who happens to like be, you know, get a get a DJ slot on any random like, you know, radio station along some highway in some crap hole, right? That person's opinion on what should play next in the radio? Valid. Yeah, valid. Valid. Anyways, so that person also probably a computer at this point. 
Yeah, yes, yes. So anyway, the point being that uh, I said, okay, look it. I have the ability to record this uh, onto, onto a computer, and you can watch it at, later, at a later point. So I recorded The Bachelor for her to watch, but it was at my house, so she had to watch it at my house. And so then I had to see it. Sorry. But you had a book, and you couldn't not watch it. That's not true. I couldn't pay attention. It was hard to pay attention. It's like... Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because you're sitting there, like, making all kind of comments about people I I don't care about. These people are, like, compellingly stupid. I don't really see the difference between this. I mean, you're basically kind of making fun of humanity with this. Which, I don't know, it's kind of a base. It's base. I don't know. I'm not for it. Not for it. I don't really care what you watch. I mean, like, watch what you like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't care. Not my thing, though. But how do we get on this? Cooking. Oh, yeah. So The Bachelor was on last night, so you couldn't make it. You know what? <laughs> There's an interesting no-fry uh, recipe from uh, the, you know, the new Hip Pressure Cooker. I don't know if it's out yet, the Hip Pressure Cooker book. I don't know if it's out yet. But anyway, there's an interesting kind of pressure-cooked eggplant parmy-style thing. Maybe I'll look up the recipe. I don't, if it's out, I can share it. Uh, and then uh, we'll talk about that. And you try that next time. Do you own a pressure cooker? Mm-hmm. The hell is wrong with you? You know what, people? Listen. Like, we're, we're doing this here. This is a 201st episode, right? How many times I talk about, like, saving time, efficiency, throughput with something like a pressure cooker? Nastasia's sitting next to me every single time. Every si- Have you missed one? One. I think one. There was one show you weren't here for. She called in for it. No, no I think no, there's I think one that one she missed. That there's just one. Totally missed. Yeah, yeah one. Germany. Yeah. And, uh, and you just, no, no pressure cooker. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't Why know. are you so resistant? I'm not resistant. I just have limited space, and that's a big... It's a, no, throw away another crappy pot you have and use the pressure cooker instead. I use my pressure cooker about half the time as a regular pot. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, and usually if you get a decent one, look, we've, we've pushed Coon Recon enough, with, by the way, in my life, you know how I've pushed Coon Recon so much, you know how much we've gotten from Nothing. Coon Recon? Well, they're Swiss, right? Oh, what's up, busting no, on I the mean, Swiss? I think they just, you know. What's up, busting on the Swiss? Anyways, I think Nastasia should get a free Coon Recon pressure cooker. That's all I'm saying. But, the, you know, the amount of crap that, I mean, I don't, I own one already. I don't need it. You know what I mean? But whatever. Uh, so eggplant parm. That's what you did. Huh? You know what I think? Yes. Let's let's and do I this. I made s'mores with the soup. Oh, how was it? I didn't eat any. I gave it to my sister. And You're such a weirdo. <laughs> You're such a weirdo. What is wrong with you? I didn't feel like it. It's like the roast Nastasia show. <laughs> I, well, it's it's. I just you know what? After all these I'm years, down. I still it's just cool. don't understand. But I'm using the thing that we built. Yes, that's like good enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, okay, listen here. I think like everyone, a lot of people, you know, you get busy. You don't cook. I think you should. We should take the time to try and make. One interesting thing a week. I cook every night. Then why don't you try to make one of those things be new (laughs) and outside of your comfort zone, and then we can talk about it. Okay, that's that's your cooking issue. What did you make? Uh, I have to go back and uh, mental. Oh, so this Sunday, what did I do this Sunday? I mean, again, nothing like like world. I did like you like salt and pepper shrimp. Mm -hmm. I made salt and pepper shrimp. You know where you where you you know the trick is in salt and pepper shrimp. It's like the double fry. You deep fry. Right, quickly. Don't overcook the shrimp, uh, and uh, with a, with a little bit of a batter on it. Right, you know, you could do the rice flour, corn flour, whatever. Light, right? Then, then you add the uh, the pepper, the, the hot pepper, and more salt, and then you stir fry it real quick, right before you serve it. Along with like the, you know, I I also put in like chilies and scallions and stuff. Stir fry it real quick. 
And that's what makes it so crunchy. You just eat the shells. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because you know, everyone's like, well, if the salt and pepper is on the outside of the shrimp, then what's the point? Because it's not on the inside of the shrimp. And the only flavor I get out of it is the stuff from if I like suck on the heads or if I get the stuff on my fingers while I'm peeling the shells, which is gross. If you're telling me that the flavor transfer you're getting is solely because you're licking your fingers after you mm-hmm. peel the shrimp, you've just told me that it's gross. Is that gross? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my point being that, like, if you fry it right like that, you should be able to eat the shell, mm-hmm. which I do. Mm-hmm. I, I consume more than my fare of chitin. And I made my mom's escarole dish, which is like a go-to on Sundays when I'm super busy. I like it. You like escarole mm-hmm. and beans? Mm-hmm. Beans, meat, escarole, mm-hmm. and biscuits, which I know you hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's, our New Year's, uh, that's our New Year's resolution late come in. You know, well, no, 201 is like a new – it's our new – no, yes, our third century of uh, of cooking yeah, issues. Nice, crap. I like it. Yeah, nice cooking report. Cooking report. All right, let's get to some of the. Qu- uh, what about you, Jack? You cook anything interesting? I made a. Uh, it was like a beet fusilli with some trumpet mushrooms. Wait, the the pasta was the pasta col- colored was, with beets. Yes, so it had no flavor. Not any discernible flavor. Yeah. No. Uh, here's a little it was secret. Red though. Yeah. Here's a little secret. Uh, colored pastas they don't taste any different. My friend just got a vajetti. That is the grossest word you've ever <laughs> yeah, said. Really. Ever. Do you know what it is? Yes. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you describe to our? It's a, like a spiralizer for for vegetables. I want to <laughs> know mostly only squash though. Like you can't really. No, I mean, well, I mean, like squash, including like zucchinis. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. And then really you make does. like veggie pastas and stuff it, like that. Yeah, pastas. Uh, what kind of non-English speaker was like Vegetti? That's a good name. <laughs> Vegetti. Jack, would you ever, like, knowingly eat something that came out of a vajetti? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. Oh, oh God, vajetti. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. But anyways. My... Answer the question, Jack. Well, look. I, look. What about daikon? Daikon would be good in that thing, but not, not cooked. Maybe. But the stupid thing is it's supposed to be, like, healthy for you, but all the recipes say, like, use the vajetti and then fry the noodles and then... You know. <laughs> well, I hate any. I hate anything who's primary. I know, but it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow, Vegetti. You just threw me for a loop. You threw me for a loop. I'll tell you what I don't like. Uh, here's what I... Okay, 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 okay. You know spaghetti squash? Yeah. You familiar with spaghetti yeah, yeah. squash? In the 70s, right, when I first became aware of spaghetti squash, because that's when I first became aware of anything, because that's the... You know, I was born in 71. So uh, what they would... People would do... And by people, I mean my mom, who's a great cook, great cook. And I actually, I just went to her, like, uh, I went to her, anyway, her, she just got honored recently because she started the pediatric heart transplant program at Columbia University. Who, by the way, I did not realize this, did the first pediatric cardiac transplant successful anywhere. Mm. Yeah. She did that? Yeah, or she's there, a cardiologist. There, look, here's the thing. Everyone, uh, look, for any surgeons that might be listening, you're not going to take an, an insult to this. Everyone's like, oh, it's the surgeon, it's the surgeon. Listen, the surgeon comes in. They cut the heart out. They put the new heart in. They, they, they sew it back together, and then they're done. Like the, the care beforehand and afterwards, right, is going to be whether or not this person lives for a long time or doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. She's a cardiologist. Surgeon's a surgeon. Cardiologist's a cardiologist. I don't know how many times I've had to go through that. Anyway, uh, my point is uh, sp- spaghetti squash. So my mom used to make the spaghetti squash, but the problem is spaghetti squash can be delicious – if you steam the sucker, right, or whatever, roast, whatever, shred it into its little noodlets, whatever you call those things, and then, like, butter, like lots of butter and other stuff, maybe some crunchy stuff in. You know what it's not good as? 
It's not freaking spaghetti. You don't put a can of uh, or a jar of pasta sauce into the spaghetti squash. This is why they shouldn't have called it this. You know what I mean? Spaghetti squash carbonara. <laughs> it's gross. It's gross. It doesn't taste like spaghetti. Or to go back to like uh, to go back to what Jack was saying earlier. One of the few things uh, I learned about making pasta, I mean, I, I may have made a lot, lot, lot of it, but, you know, never I became very good at it, was that you could add anything to it to add color and it doesn't change the flavor. So, you know, originally I would care what I added to it. To, to, and then eventually I'm like, ketchup, whatever. I want it to be red. I'm going to dump a bunch of ketchup in because it doesn't matter. Pot, like the vast majority of the ingredient is the flour and you're not going to get any flavor out of it. It's all left in. Agree, Stas? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it does taste is... Like using an alternate flour, duh. Like, uh, you know, like the whole wheat ones or the farro ones. Or stuff, stuff, just... There's one that's made out of garbanzo beans now, and it's... it sounds gross. You have a these vegan guys, look on your face. Does it taste good? These guys pitched it to me because they were on Shark Tank or something. They pitched they... it to you personally? Yeah, because they came to Pasta Flyer when I was working there. Wait, so the dudes who are on Shark Tank to show? Yeah, they... no, no, no. The the guys who created this garbanzo bean. Oh, we're going to go on Shark Tank. They were on Shark Tank. They, they got sh- chosen and they won money from Joe okay. Bastian or whatever. So they pitched it to me and they were like, I was like, what's it taste like? And they're like, do you like hummus? And I was like, no. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so it like completely uh, like derailed uh, uh, Sometimes I really appreciate you. Uh, who doesn't like hummus? <laughs> no, I do. I just didn't want oh, to just feed into the. Oh, it's even stronger. What do you think about that, Jack? Yeah, that's great. I have a caller. Oh. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. It's uh, Joel Esposito. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, um, I have a quick question. Um, I want to build a precision boiler for making coffee, and I started looking at, like, PIDs and heating elements and all that, um, and my plan was to hook up, like a, like, a swivel valve to the bottom of an insulated stainless tank, heat the water, and then just dispense it straight over the coffee. Right. Um, but I started pricing it out. And by swi- wait, hold a second. By swivel, you mean ball valve? Like a ball valve? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, I started pricing out all the different components I'll need, and it almost made more sense just to go ahead and get a circulator like an Anova. And um, I emailed their technical support, and they said that you technically could do that, but they don't officially sanction it, you know? Um, so, Wait, what don't uh, they officially was, sanction? What, what don't they sanction? Oh, drinking the water that's circulated through the Anova, they don't officially sanction. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, they, they said that... They said it would be a problem from a standpoint of if your tank gets dirty or the circulator gets dirty, you don't clean it. But they didn't specifically say don't do it because the water isn't good to drink. Um, and to my understanding, all the parts are, that are on that are submerged in the water are like food grade and metal. And except the bottom, uh, the cap for the um, pump is plastic. That's probably not a big deal. You're dealing with, you know, everything below 205 degrees. So um, I was just wondering what the deal is there if that's something that's like even reasonable or all right i'll give you two deals here's two deals one as the manufacturer of equipment that people use to cook things and having spoken to many uh people they will never tell you it's okay because they have to you have to spend whether or not an item an item can be as pure as the driven snow but you in order to get it so that they can legally tell you it's okay, they have to pay some some jokomo a lot of money to look at it and certify that it's okay, even if they 
even if every material that's put into it is known to be food grade, right? They have to like pay a lot of extra money and then keep the certs up to be able to say that it can be in direct food contact. So that's why none of these right. folks are ever going to tell you that you can do that, unless unless for some unless there's a big market for it. If there's a big market for it in a commercial situation where they need direct food contact, then they'll pay the extra money. But unless they have to for a very small thing, they're never going to tell you it's okay, right? Now, since right. I don't right. manufacture that product, if they say that the stuff that it's in contact with the uh, with with the water is food grade, then you're okay. Your obvious points are one. Uh, you know, you have to, sanitation becomes a big deal because if it's not meant to be food co- contact, it might have nooks and crannies where bacteria are going to grow. But that said, you're going to be circulating at a temperature that's going to wipe out any uh, vegetative bacteria. Obviously, you're not in like sterilization spore stuff, but you could always, in between things, bleach it if you want, right? So I would right. say right. you're okay. Now, uh, second point is that, uh, I mean, I've used circulators to uh, do uh, tea seminars where people want a very accurate tea temperatures. One of the problems with circulators is in general, it's not going to – it depends on do you want to do this every day of your life or are you just testing? If you're just testing, then yeah, get a circulator and like uh, you know, just get a container and like put like a little valve in the bottom and take out of it. Make sure you insulate the container, whatever, insulate the thing you're putting it into so you don't lose a lot of effects. But on a day-by-day basis, do you want this sucker hanging around in your kitchen with a circulator in a bane with a valve over a thing with the stuff? You know what I'm saying? So like a lot of uh, – the other thing is, is if you just want to see whether – if you just want to see whether or not you like the results, then yeah, womp it up out of a circulator and then figure out how to make it all fan-dancy so that you, uh, you, know, so that you get the results you want. Like right now, right – you know, I wanted to see whether or not the, the – I know it's espresso. It's not what you're working on. But I wanted to see whether this ranchilio that I was – you know, that I had would – you know, PID'd ranchilio would be kind of where I want it. So it's kind of opened up all over my kitchen and it takes a, a boatload of time to make coffee because it's a nightmare to work with. But I'm trying to figure out whether it's worth it for me to fix it 100 percent and then put it back together in a way that makes my work streamlined. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about too much about the uh, – the food gradeness. I don't know what kind of plastic that that they they use, but um, what do they use? Do you know what they use? Do you know what it is? Is it ABS? Um, it's probably they ABS. Say that, that the construction is um, completely uh, polycarbonate and, and metal. But um, what I'm thinking is, is it's an impeller pump, and I just need it to to basically even out the ambient water temperature in the tank, so I could just take the cap off because I don't need directional flow. Right. Right. So. Yeah, and look, if you're really super dupe worried about it, I mean like the really baller the really baller move, here's the really baller move for you. The really baller move would be to uh, also submerse the um, – you, wait, are you doing – what, what style of coffee are you doing? Is this is – this, uh, are you doing it like stirred and then drained? Are you doing pour over? Are you doing French press? What are you doing? Uh, Kenex and Hario V60, so basically just pour over. Okay, because if you were going to do a French press thing, the awesome thing would be to also put the cylinder in the bath that's being circulated so that the temperature – although, you know, look, a- a- as people have written in, like who knows? Maybe a decreasing temperature during the steep time is what you want. Maybe what you want is a temperature gradient, in which case you need to figure out a way to continuously change the temperature during the extraction time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's another thing I was thinking about is hooking up to like a manifold beneath and then having like stations where the water is heated to another specific temperature so I can do an extraction that ranges from 
you know, 195 to 205 and have basically a manifold with three different valves on the bottom, and they're all heated to different temperatures. Right. Right. Huh. Let me think. I think the easiest way to probably do it, I think most people who do coffee, they want to see they want to start high and go low they want to start high and go low right you want to lessen the temperature over the course of the extraction is that true um actually i'm not i'm not up on that right now i need to research that yeah uh if you want to hmm, if you want to lower the extraction temperature over time then what you want to do is dump the liquid through a uh a block that is hotter than the water and then the water as it passes through over the course of the um over the liquid passing through it the liquid will cool it because the block won't be able to heat it uh at the same rate for uh, a long enough period of time right so what you'll get is is you'll you'll get a gradient that goes uh, initially it'll start at the block temperature and then if you if you time it right, you know, and if you get all the thermal masses of everything right, it'll end at the temperature of the liquid. And that can be changed obviously also by changing the flow rates and, you know, various other things like whether you add extra heat to the block during the period of time when you're doing it. Doing the reverse, I suppose you could also do the reverse where the block is colder than the liquid and, and then the liquid comes out, um, then the temperature will rise. Um, but anyway, all these things would have to be tested by by testing it. You'd have to you'd have to do it. You know what I mean? But all sure. of that's easier than actively changing the temperature of the bath over time, which would be right, much right. more complicated. And in fact, when you, if you look at most coffee machines, um, they're they're kind of like the good designs are the ones where uh, you know it's not necessarily that the temperature is a hundred percent stable, but the gradient during the shot is favorable. Again, my brain only thinks espresso, so I have to apologize for that. And I said, I said I have to apologize. My brain only thinks in espresso. But think about it this way. In a classic French press shot, uh, French press uh, uh, cup of coffee, right, there's a, a large temperature gradient between the beginning and the end, and that's a decreasing, oh, okay. that's a decreasing gradient. I so if you like that flavor, whereas I think a clover, which I don't have any experience with running one, I think a clover can maintain the shot temperature. So I've never done like a side-by-side press versus clover shot uh, without kind of getting rid of the other intervening variables. It's all interesting. And it's it's a question of what what tastes best, what you like. But anyway, hopefully this is somewhat helpful. Hello? What's that? I said hopefully this is somewhat helpful. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. What's I said I, I said I hope the information helps out a little bit. If you can't hear <laughs> if you can't hear well, you totally, have to go back totally. and listen to it on the uh, on the iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it's basically just my way of sidestepping buying a thirty five hundred dollar uh, Marco or um, the Uber boiler or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to find a way to hack my way around that. So, All right. Well, tweet it on into Cooking Issues uh, at Cooking Issues. Tell me how it works out for you. Awesome. Will do. Thanks a lot. All right, Jack, you want to take our break? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Jackie Molecules.
Hey, what's up, guys? It's me, Jack, as in Jack from Cooking Issues, as in the guy that's probably been talking on this show. So, here on the break to tell you about MolecularRecipes.com, which is not only an awesome website and store and resource, but also they support us, which makes them even that much cooler. So I know Dave gives you plenty and plenty of information on the show, but should you need further resource, should you want to get some of the things he's talking about, MolecularRecipes.com has recipes, techniques, ingredients, tools, all in the world of this modernist thing we love so much on the show. So, you know, explore the world of foams and spheres and invisible foods and mind-blowing cocktails, all that awesome stuff. There's a community of over 400,000 chefs, scientists, and food lovers sharing their favorite recipes, tips, and tricks. Cool photos, tools, gadgets. Again, this is everything you'd be into all in one place, MolecularRecipes.com. And just for being a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off any of their popular kits just by using the promo code HERITAGE at checkout. That's promo code HERITAGE. So again, check them out, MolecularRecipes.com. Tons of really awesome stuff there. Definitely right up your alley. Good news, I got Johnny on. You got Johnny? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, what's up, brother? Oh, is that, was that, your, is that your Johnny Hunter music? <laughs> yeah. Let me hear some Johnny Hunter music. <laughs> wow. Wow, I, did, I didn't know that was your jammy, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, we got Johnny That's from great. the Underground Meats Collective, <laughs> Underground Food Collective in Madison, Wisconsin. First of all, uh, how's it going over there in uh, Madison? I hear a lot of... Lot of uh, protests going on right now or what's it what's the what's the feeling like over there yeah it's pretty intense um yeah just the unarmed uh african-american kid was shot last weekend and uh the city is kind of grappling with it and asking a lot of really good questions so um the protests have been really good i mean it's like really engaging and a lot of people participating yeah well Anyway, it's ter- yeah, awful. Um, so uh, we had a question in on smoking uh, meats, and um, I thought I'd ask you because I didn't want to answer the question based on my solely theoretical knowledge because uh, you know I don't have a lot of uh, expertise in what this person asks. So I figured I'd call you. Jason wrote in, uh, hey, Cooking Issues team, I have a question on cold smoking and smoke absorption. As I understand, smoke absorption is affected by the relative humidity of the environment and the moisture of the product being smoked. What about temperature? How does environmental and product temperature affect smoke absorption? I'm thinking cold smoking in this case. So if I cold smoke at 75 Fahrenheit, will I get more, less, or the same smoke flavor as if I smoke at 40, uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit? Inquiring minds wish to know, Jason. And I figured I'd ask you since you probably tested this stuff. Yeah, let me uh... – Hold on. Let me ask the our head smoker right now. All um, right. I'm gonna. All right. So you. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. You you find well. him, and I'll just talk about some random stuff about smoking while while you all get right. back. The question all right. is, Chuck, does right. cold smoking absorption yeah. different? All right. So, uh, that said, like smoking, incredibly complicated. I haven't really. I haven't really studied it in depth uh, in a long time, even from a, a theoretical basis. Um, but I did learn some interesting techniques. Thank him for the meats. What? We should thank him. Oh, yeah, we should. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Well, he's back. All I'm right. going to let Charlie answer this question. All right. First of all, thank you for the meats for the 200th episode, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. So who do we have on the line? Hello. 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 Hey, this is Charlie. How you doing? So the the, que- the question was, in cold smoking, like uh, 
What's the difference in terms of smoke flavor, more or less, smoking at 40 Fahrenheit versus 75 Fahrenheit? 75 degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah. Uh, not, there's not going to be that much difference between 40 and 75. You know, the only real difference with uh, smoke doesn't penetrate once meat gets above about 130 to 140. It stops penetrating at that point. So, okay, so you're saying that, like... So you're going to get... So you're, so you're... Whatever you're doing for, I think, 40 degrees, 75 degrees, I don't think that's going to make much of a difference. It only, it's only going to affect it once it gets above, like, that 130 threshold. Right. Do you think there's going to be a big difference because the humidity in the box is going to change a lot if they don't have good control over the humidity in, in the box because it's going to be, like, a different relative humidity when it's that cold, when it's, like like fridge temp versus when it's at like room temp or is it not is it really just going to be like six and one half a dozen the other it's you know i i don't really think there's much of a difference some people really think that there's a huge difference but i i don't think there's much of a difference if if your humidity is is relatively the same you know what i mean right and so then would your opinion be keep it at like 40 just for safety reasons is it are you better off just staying low then you, you know, you, you're always better off staying low. It depends on if you have any uh, pink salt or any sodium nitrite in the in whatever you're processing, whatever you're cold smoking. Sure. If you have if you have that, then you're not worried about the botulism, not worried about that temperature getting up there. Right. So um, you're sure from a quality like, standpoint. If you don't have anything, if you don't have any nitrite or anything in there, then I would keep it at 40 or below if you can while you're cold smoking. Right. But sure. if you have but if you have cure in there. Then you're fine, and you should be able to to smoke at 75 degrees and then cool afterwards. Sure. So you're saying it's not a quality issue, maybe a safety issue if there's not enough uh, botulism inhibition due to due, due to the cure you've applied. That's yeah. That, just going on what you're saying with the what I know from what you're saying just now. Yeah, that's what I would think. Is there is there any difference, by the way? It's just a question I have, not related uh, to the um, how uh, wet or dry you want the surface of a product to be when you cold smoke versus when you hot smoke. I mean, you. Anytime you're gonna smoke, uh, you want to give that, give the um, whatever you're whatever you're smoking a day to hang um, overnight in the cooler so that it develops some some tack to it. Right, but not totally. You don't want to you don't want to form a, like a like a, an impervious skin. You don't want to case harden it, though, right? No, you don't want to case harden it. Obviously, you don't, yeah, you don't want it to be completely dried out. But you do want to have. Uh, a, a, a decent dry surface. If it's if it's wet, it you know the, the smoke tends to it can get kind of like an acrid taste to it. Sure. Now uh, there's a there's something I read about which you know you guys like having access to uh, all the science folks over there at the university. I just read about it. I didn't know about it, and they're, they're going to cut me off the air soon. So I want to see what you think about it, whether you you can try this. Have you heard of electrostatic smoking? Um, no, I guess not. I mean, I've I've, I've seen some pretty bizarre smoke designs I've, I've seen like where it's like a friction smoke but i don't know what that is no. yeah friction smoke is cool okay so like i think it's pretty clear that the temperature of smoke generation super important relative like super important right so we're not we're, we're not talking about that this is check out what these guys do this is like super speed super speed smoking what they do is is they have a metal conveyor belt that the food travels on right and they travel mm-hmm. it underneath a 40 kilovolt electrode right and they they set up a giant electric field in between this electrode and the conveyor belt with the meat in between and it just 
wham, like accelerates like the particles and the vapor stuff in the smoke onto the meat. And then it rolls away. And so stuff is smoked in like five minutes. But here's the crazy part about it. According to the data I've been reading, like it literally forms like a layer of smoke on the, on the, uh, on, on the stuff that you can peel off. Until it goes through its like cooking and like tempering out procedure, and at, at that point, the, the like it soaks in and, and behaves like a normal piece of smoked meat. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I guess I'm still confused. Like, like a conveyor belt, you said it whizzes the meat through. <laughs> well, yeah. So a conveyor belt is moving through, but it also provides like the other side, the electrode, the ground, and then they have smoke going through this chamber, and then they have a giant electrode that like electrostatically slams the smoke into the surface of the meat, like embedding, <laughs> embedding the, not just the particles, right? Because, you know, every, everyone who's like smokes knows that like there's, there's particles which have like a certain, like, uh, the, you know, and, and the, the actual vapor, which is different, right? So there's the vapor and then there's the particles, which is why if you put smoke in a container, let the, let the particles settle out and open it, it still smells like smoke because there's vapor and whatever, anyway. But it accelerates not just the particles, it accelerates the vapor like with this huge like uh, electrostatic force bang right into the surface of the meat and is like insty smoke isn't that nuts so but is it so does it penetrate those uh, further than or is it just a base level like just the surface well, these guys aren't doing it in a cold smoke application. They're doing it, I think, in a hot in a like a pseudo hot smoke. So what they're doing is is that, is that after it goes through that on the conveyor, it goes through its cook process, and during the cook process, like all, all the stuff that's been embedded in the surface of the meat will distribute throughout the meat the way that it would in a normal kind of a really? situation. Yeah. So 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 it, it sort of. Uh, no, that's interesting. So it, so so it puts like a heavy dose. Of it on the surface of the meat, and then that is absorbed through just the regular cooking process. Right, but not, but but not so not heavy in the same way that like applying a heavy smoke would make it acrid because it's a different. Anyway, check it out. See whether one of those lunatics at the university can, like can uh, rig one up for you. I'd love to hear someone who actually could play around with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's really interesting. Well, anyway, thanks so uh, much. Thanks so much for the answer. They're going to rip me off the air in about in about thirty seconds. We love you guys at the Underground uh, Food and Meat Collective over there. Uh, all, all our you know love out to Madison. What's going on right now? I uh, got more questions I didn't answer. We'll get them next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.